You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review's Northern Command Center in Central Maryland on this fine, budding spring day here. Everyone loves spring, but I hate spring because, oh my gosh, those allergies are horrible. So I apologize if I'm sniffling a little bit today and hoarse because it's that time of year, that time of the season. And then in addition to that discomfort, I just burn myself on hot soup, making that mistake before I record. So my tongue is killing me. (laughs) So it's kind of uncomfortable, but great to be back with you guys again. Really had a terrific show yesterday, if you haven't heard it yet, with Jessica Vaughn discussing essentially the fact that this is no longer about building a wall. This is about, as one listener put it, building a will. We need to build the will, not just the wall. Uh, Rick, you know who you are. Thanks for sending me that email. It's a great line. We need to build the will, a will of a nation to believe in ourselves, to believe in our country, to believe in our border, to believe in self-determination. Where do I want to take this today? So, look, we've beat up enough on the president, on the DHS secretary, on the administration for not having that will, for focusing really all their political capital on the wrong thing, at least at this moment, continuing to bow down to the courts and then some, continuing to ignore all their other more robust, more legally sound, more politically sound, emergency powers, non-emergency powers, powers as a president to defend our nation. And we have tons of articles, tons of shows out on that, tons of material. We're going to continue to discuss the mechanics of what's going on at the border, at the interior. But today, I want to share with you two articles of mine that are out today that tie together that really not just brings out the severity of the stolen sovereignty with criminal aliens, with the breach of the social compact, with the obsession with judicial supremacy, but really the sophistry in the Senate, the Senate's most pathetic hour. That is today's show. Now, like I said, obviously there's problems with what the president has done. There's a case to be made against what he's done. But only people like me can make that case. Not the people in the Senate now that are going to vote for this resolution of disapproval. They are doing that for all the wrong reasons. And I really want to take a bite out of them today because I don't think I did a good enough job in this article I put out. There's something about what they're doing that really gets under my skin. Right now, as of this recording, they're still debating it. I don't know if we're going to have a vote by the time we finish. We're going to watch that. But so far, it looks like more than it looks like about a dozen Republicans are going to join, getting dangerously close to the 67 marker, which would be the veto override amount. Ultimately, I don't think 
there's going to be enough in both the House and the Senate to do that. There certainly already wasn't enough in the House, even if there is in the Senate. But all these people, from Mike Lee to Rand Paul, Pat Toomey now, and then you got the rhinos like Murkowski, Collins, Lamar Alexander, Tom Tillis, Mitt Romney. They are taking the wrong stand for the wrong reason at the wrong time in the worst way. I want to explain to you the degree of their perfidy. And yes, I'm including Mike Lee in that. There's this hypocritical mix of what they'll get excited about and what they won't that creates the worst outcome. There's something to be said about sometimes getting righteous intellectually, even if you don't like the policy outcome or joining with the Democrats on something if they're willing to take a stand on a certain thing that you believe is going to help strengthen Article 1, there's a right way of doing that, but there's a wrong way of doing that. And I want That's really what I want to delve into today. Now, before we set that up, let's just, again, continue just knocking the administration. The, the problem with the, what the administration did, essentially, was this. That Trump wanted something from Congress. He didn't get it. As we noted... He didn't fight for it when they had all three branches. Seven budget bills, a debt ceiling bill, didn't use any leverage. Okay? Didn't use any of it. Then when Democrats took over Congress, okay, we had this, or at least the House, we had this budget fight, and he undermined his own case for an emergency by signing a bill that lowered, decreased the amount of detention beds took the issue off the table for the rest of the year, never declared an emergency before, and then since really hasn't talked about it a lot, even though the news has actually proven him right and it's gotten worse. But just that moment, says emergency, I want the funding. He even said I didn't have to do this. Look, two things are true at the same time. It's nakedly apparent that his emergency was with the conservative base betraying us, and he had to cover up for that. So, oh, here, here's a – I'm reprogramming a few billion in funding. Okay. That, 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 so his intent is not good, and he's not empowering the military to do more. He's not, at least as of yet, declaring the cartels as ter- terrorist organizations, designating them. He's not using the mass migration emergency plan, as Jessica spoke about yesterday, to – confine them in 10 cities and do a rocket docket, um, a, a surge of adjudicators, a surge of military, a surge of um, ICE deportation of those that have already absconded. None of that. It's all just his legacy and with the base. So that is true. And I think the most defensible position to vote against the to vote against the president in this sense is more the Thomas Massey angle, where he was like, "Look, you know, I voted against all these bills that blocked the border wall for you, and you yourself signed these bills. So, you know, I was the one. Don't accuse me of being weak on the border or the emergency, but I mean, look, I just don't like this when it's clear that you know you just didn't get what you want, and now you're going and doing it." The problem is almost nobody in Congress, and I want to focus particularly on the Republicans, but we can focus on the Democrats too, 
that are all about, man, we need to defend the prerogatives of Article 1, the power of the purse, the legislating. There's too much executive action on that. If these people zealously guarded every executive breach of legislative power that is a thousand times more brazen, a thousand times more destructive, a thousand times more against the purpose behind the legislation or that funding, then I can understand it. You want to be perfectly intellectually consistent. And if they fought against every judicial power grab, which is a million times more brazen, a million times more deleterious in its effects, and a million times more irrevocable, I could understand Boy, these people are big Article One people, and they want to defend that prerogative. They agree with building a wall in general. They certainly want to believe this is an emergency. They want to stop it, but they don't. They don't like this and, and want to take a stand. And this is where the Democrats and the media agree to do it. So it's kind of okay to do it here. You'll get popular support. So we're going to do it. But this applies to none of the people that will vote for this resolution today. At the end of the day, Section 2808 of the Emergencies Act of 1976 does allow the president to declare an emergency, which everyone agrees it clearly is. Whatever other intent he had is, again, that's not a legal issue. It's a political point. And at the end of the day, once he declared that emergency, which is up to him to do until you change that statute, 33 U.S. Code 2293 allows, you know, the the Secretary of, of Homeland Security during such a declaration of emergency to redirect, whether it's Department of Army's civil works programs or other funding, to construct any sort of infrastructure to assist. Um military construction to assist the military if the projects are essential to national defense. At the end of the day, you might not like the spirit and some of the insidious attitude, I would believe, of the president, where he himself is selling his own emergency short. But believe me, that's not what's bothering any of them. They're not making my arguments, okay? They don't give a damn about the border, all these people. They really don't. So certainly their issue is not that the president is not taking his emergency serious enough and doing enough. That's not their issue. At the end of the day, it gives him that power. You might not like it in general. You might feel like, you know, we need to take a stand in general for Article 1. But at the end of the day, if you are looking for a breach, and there are multiple breaches— why start with one that technically is not a breach? This is an emergency, not that there's any conditions on the president declaring it. Heck, the president just declared an emergency in Venezuela, by the way. No one cares about that. You cannot deny that it's essential to national defense. Now, look, I have my argument that it's not helping with illegal immigration, but even, even with my argument that we're letting them in anyway with the lawfare, it does 
block out, again, some of the cartel activity. So you can't deny that it's national defense. So the authority is there. Okay, so I I just want to make sure we're not playing whataboutism. Like, well, he violated it, but you're not worried about other violations. This is technically not a violation. Okay. Now, I want to bring two points here. Two things that are more egregious that these people don't care about. If these senators are so bothered by executive power grabs, and they so badly want to defend the prerogatives of the Article I branch from the Article II branch, let me ask you something. What about the Article III branch denuding Congress of every single power? We just had a Ninth Circuit ruling that created constitutional habeas corpus rights for 7.8 billion people in the world to litigate against their immigration status, to come here illegally, demand status, get it denied, and have endless appeals. In doing so, they denuded Congress's authority over immigration and their power to define the jurisdiction of the courts, two of the most unquestionable plenary powers of Congress. There is not a press release from Mike Lee. I have never seen in my life, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike Lee ever complaining about judicial supremacism, much less proposing legislation, much less a resolution of disapproval, impeaching a judge, nothing. So color me unimpressed if you're suddenly so concerned about Article 1 when you're allowing the even weaker branch to engage in even more brazen violations of Article 1 with even more deleterious and consequential policy effects than anything this president or any president has ever done. But it's even worse than that. You see, when a president does something executively, at the end of the day, he either leaves office no later than four years, or if he's running again, he has to stand before the American people, and this could become a big issue, and they could punish him not just by denying him re-election, but really ultimately punish his entire party. And then when you guys get in there, you could easily countermand what he did. But when it comes to the courts, we are told by these very supremacists, and every one of them, every one of them, including you know Rand Paul and Mike Lee, who are so claim to be very pained by this trend of executive power, somehow they're not bothered when they believe that the judiciary's edicts, every flatulence from every district judge, no matter how much he violates the rules of standing, no matter how much they issue universal injunctions that are so unconstitutional that Clarence Thomas said even if Congress would explicitly confer such power, which they haven't done, it would be unconstitutional. Because they don't veto things. They, they don't put injunctions on things. They grant relief to an individual plaintiff 
in a gestational case. They don't decide policy. I thought we all respected in this conservative movement Clarence Thomas. Read his concurrence in Trump v. Hawaii. He says all this. Not a single time have they said a word. And think about it. It's irrevocable. You and I would laugh it off, laugh off the courts, but in their mind, it's irrevocable. So, I mean, really? You understand what I'm saying? It, it, it makes – this is not whataboutism for two reasons. Both because the judicial power grab is the source of the executive debacle that Trump's under right now. That's number one, and I'm going to get to that more in a minute. And number two, the severity of it. Look, if, if I go up to you and punch you in the face five times, and you just like – you don't say anything. You don't say a word. I punch you in the face a hundred times. You don't say a word. You just have a smile on your face. But then my partner in the corner kind of snickers or smiles at you. And then you just like lose it and blow up. It's a little bit weird, isn't it? Right? right. What, suddenly, suddenly now you're upset? The courts redefine marriage. Not a word from these people. Ted Cruz, to his credit, and he's not even one of the dissenters really. I mean, unless he winds up voting against it in the end. He did introduce legislation to strip the courts of jurisdiction over marriage. These guys, nothing. The courts redefine citizenship, crickets. The courts redefine human sexuality, life, nothing. Redefine election law. Every last power they denude from Congress. They tell the states, you cannot follow federal immigration law. And then states that violate immigration law, yes, you can do that and the feds can't punish you. Not a word, not a press release, nothing. There's nothing the courts could do. Every day they strip legislative authority. Literally, last week, they said, no, we get to decide what we adjudicate, not Congress. We're striking down their statute. Nothing. So just in terms of the severity It makes no sense if your real motivation is not virtue signaling for the media, but really that you genuinely care about separation of powers. It makes no sense for you to go ballistic over the reprogramming of a couple billion dollars that would have gone to cobble urban renewal that will now go for what's more quintessentially national defense when you have a statute ultimately backing that at a time of such a prominent reporter, you focus on that, but not the very judicial problems that created it. And that's another thing. That's why this is not just whataboutism. Okay, well, what about judicial power? Okay, you're concerned about executive, but why don't you say anything about judicial power? No, it's that the reason we're in this predicament is because of the courts. Ironically, the reason why we're caught with this very border flow where we're debating offense and he doesn't have the votes and the budget, so therefore he decides to do this. We're only in this position because of the courts. I think Congress needs to act. Congress did act. In 1996, they fixed it. Everyone talks about the INA. It's old. It's from 1952. But in 96, Congress updated it. 
to prevent all of the, the, this very sort of shenanigans with all this rights and the, the appeals to the courts and the lawfare and immigration. They wanted to shut it down. And the courts literally told Congress, go blank yourself. And not a single conservative constitutionalist defender of Article 1 said a word. That, that's the problem. It's not just like, oh, focus on this. This is just – this is even worse. It's that it's stupid to sit and debate what Trump is doing now, but from all ends, from Trump doing it, it's not the, the, the issue, and from Congress combating it. It's all the courts. That's where it all is. They will not touch it. But it's even worse than that. The perfidy of these people is even worse than that. All right, so you really are zealous against executive power. You really don't like executive abuses of power, power grabs. Okay, fine. Well, you see, the courts, we have a list, our article, you could Google it. Daniel Horowitz, Obama's third term, 13, something like 13 examples where courts said Trump must continue Obama's executive policies. And that was a few, last year. Now it's up to about 20. A lot, a lot of other cases. They just mandated that he continue Obama's uh, labor dis- anti-discrimination pay rule. So Obama engaged in a number of power grabs, violated statute. Trump merely decided to countermand it. And, these, and, and the court said, no, you have to do it. So now you have a judicial power grab of statute forcing an executive power grab on a new president against Congress. So it's a mixture of both, and they still don't say anything, not a word. What is the most prominent one? Obama's amnesty. You know what? Mike Lee... I'd love to see you tomorrow, after this vote, introduce a resolution of disapproval against Trump continuing Obama's amnesty. I mean, if you want to counter Trump, if you want to talk about Trump violating law, ironically, I know he's doing it because the courts told him and he's not willing to fight back against that. But ironically, if you want to talk about, I mean, think about it. Both statutorily on a technical sense and more and also more philosophically from just the intent and support behind a certain statute and behind the social compact of governance, what is a worse violation? Right? Let's say for a minute that 10 USC um uh, whatever it is, um section 2808 of the Emergencies Act didn't exist. And let's say Trump just carte blanche took DOD funding to protect our own border. Kate okay, doesn't have statutory authority to do that. At the end of the day, it's a power grab, but it's the least officious of all of them because that's quintessentially national defense. I'm not defending doing that if you didn't have the statute. I'm just saying. Now consider you take billions of dollars from the Treasury, which Obama did. Talk about reprogramming. And uses treasury funds to give refundable welfare tax credits to aliens he illegally amnestied and gave social security cards to. 
Trump is continuing that to this day. IRS is handing out refunds this time of year. It is going to them. Not one of these guys will criticize it. If what Trump, if you believe Trump is not following statute, by a factor of a million, this is a problem. Mitt Romney is voting for the resolution against Trump today. Okay, Mitt Romney. He was the presidential candidate in 2012 while Obama announced the DACA amnesty. And he said nothing, nothing at the time. You want to know why? You want to know what the common denominator with all of this is? It's virtue signaling. Certainly true of the rhinos, but even of the more conservative members. They wait until it's safe. They convince, here's what they do. If you notice, it's a pattern. They only fight when the Democrats agree with them on a certain principle for the wrong reason. So now it's safe because you're going against Trump and the border wall and the media on the left will love you. So article one. Oh, but Pataka, now these are the cute, the children, the cute MS-13 children. And believe me, all these 20-something, and we're going to get to this, murdering and butchering people, guess what? Those are your dreamers, buddy. It ain't the 70-year-old illegals committing the murder. So um, it, it, it is just, it really is getting to me. I'm the only one calling them out. Somebody, somebody's got to call them out for this. It's too hard to fight back against the courts. No, I don't want to do that. This is your hill to die on? And then, look, look. Everyone violates the Constitution every day in every sphere, certainly the judiciary, but all three branches. Okay, let's face it. At the end of the day, even if you didn't have this statute, now, look, you know me, I believe at this point, partial border fencing enough that a few billion dollars will get you is not even, that's not a dramatic issue anyway. It's not going to do anything. But to me, let's say Trump explicitly violated statute to defend American sovereignty. At some point, you have to understand, the judiciary caused this crisis. DACA caused this crisis. Remember, the entire Central American migration started because of DACA. People forget that. It was open. The Washington Times, New York Times, El Paso Intelligence Service, Congressional Research Service, they all said that at the time. Miami Herald had an article I cited before. It was obvious at the time. People have short memories. We successfully stemmed the tide of Mexican migration. A lot of it was because of the recession, and it was slowing to a trickle. And then we started an entire new front of Central Americans, and it started with DACA. Courts blew open more holes than afterwards, but that's what it started with. So at some point, you, have to, you do have to understand that you reach a point where the Constitution is not a suicide pact, where if the other side is going to put us in a certain predicament because of their power grabs, because of their constitutional violations, and you're at a point where you're stuck. It's not like, oh, they did something wrong, so I'm going to do something wrong. It's the very thing that I'm confronted with that I want to take the action for is because of that very power grab. What do you want from me? 
DACA's the cause of this. And they won't say a word about it. All of these people are good for nothings. All of them. It's ridiculous. All right. No, I definitely believe it's an emergency. It's a problem, but I don't like the president. Okay, so what is your answer? Propose legislation. And disapprove of the courts. Disapprove of DACA. No, but the, the media doesn't agree with that. So then shut up. Then it's just virtue signaling. Vice signaling. It's pure nonsense. You know it. All of this. It just really gets to me. Oh, all these and all you have you have all these like people. Yes. Look at our people being so intellectually honest, bucking their own president because they care so, so much about executive power grabs. No, you don't. No, you don't. You care about what the media tells you to care about. Anything they tell you not to care about or they don't, you totally ignore. It's outrageous. Utterly outrageous. So that's my piece on that. Now let me take it a step further. And by the way, I just I just want to say about this suicide pact business. You know, again, it's like let's say someone violates every law to lock me in chains or to trap me in a burning building, and then I violate a law to get out of the building. You know, you know what I mean? Like at some point, it's like you know everything's like the years of violation of laws, so they flood the country with illegals. But then like, oh, but it's unconstitutional. You can't arrest them. You can't do this. Birthright citizenship. They, you know, like really. I'm sick of this mentality. I'm sick of this mentality. There's a way of being intellectually honest. And there's a way of virtue signaling intellectual honesty, but really being the most dishonest of all. Let me take this a step further. Every American by now, well, every American that follows news to some extent has heard of the name Jamal Khashoggi. Everyone knows that this Al-Qaeda-loving Muslim Brotherhood so-called journalist from Saudi Arabia was butchered probably by the Saudis in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. That took place in October. To the, Everyone knows about it. Everyone, All these guys, to a person that's voting for this resolution, they're all, they're all into that. To this day, we're still passing legislation in honor of Jamal Khashoggi. What do I mean? Just yesterday, Mike Lee and others passed a resolution uh, condemning, you know, trying to rein in Trump on Yemen. But again, it's not. And this is the thing, like Mike Lee is trying to find places where he thinks it's conservative, but the Democrats agree and he can make progress. This is what they do. But but the reality is, again, like we're barely doing anything in Yemen anyway. And, you know, I agree that the same thing, principally, we need to in general get away from these wars and, you know, the president's doing that. But like focus on Afghanistan. We're not doing anything in Yemen. Afghanistan's a problem. Focus on Syria. 
you're doing this all, it's all Khashoggi and to punish the one government that, look, for all their flaws, they're at least fighting the jihad. So what, we're going to side with the jihadists that are trying to overthrow MBS? But that's where it's coming from. So Jamal Khashoggi is so important that he was butchered that we're still passing legislation on his behalf. Let me tell you a name of a person you will never likely hear of again. Bambi Larson, 59-year-old mother, I think maybe grandmother too, living in South San Jose, California, was butchered to death by an El Salvadoran illegal alien gang member who came in this country right around the age of 18 years old during the UAC surge in 2013. He's now in his 20s. He's a dreamer. He's a you know, quintessential dreamer. This man has a rap sheet with 10 arrests or more, three convictions on kidnapping while well, he pled down to false imprisonment, drug charges, battery on a police officer, and burglary. ICE placed six detainers on him over the last three years, the latest being as late as January of this year when he was on probation for drug charges. They were ignored every time, either by L.A. County when when he was there a couple years ago and now by Santa Clara County. And he went on to murder Bambi Larson. If there's ever a case where something, where a murder was 100% avoidable, it's in this case. Six times he should have been out of the country. Right With an American, you could always say, well, we, they cycle in and out of the justice system, they recidivate, but here he should have been taken out. And this is a breach of the purpose of the social contract. The reason we have government is not for their stupid programs and their stupid government-funded butt-wiping cradle-to-grave socialism. No. It's for safety at a state and local level for domestic crime. And at a federal level, the reason why we have a federal government is to protect us from external threats. Invaders who come here and do us harm. As you know, in a country like America in the 21st century, 21st century invasion is not going to look like what it traditionally did. It's going to be something like this. And she was murdered because we have a federal government that's so powerful that it could do anything to crush the states, except when it comes to the one thing for which we created our constitution from the Articles of Confederation to prevent states from bringing in people under weaker conditions, quote, obnoxious aliens in the words of James Madison. And yet we failed her. Now, every time something happens, there's an event that happens that proves, the Democrats believe proves their policy outcome, that gives momentum to something that they want to do. They're all over it. Everyone will know about it. Everyone will know the name of the person, 
and they'll immediately have legislation relentlessly push a bill. Every time there's a school shooting, they'll have a gun control bill. When you have a case like this, and this, I mean, every day, I don't have time to talk about it. I know some of you see it. If you follow my Twitter feed, every day you have cases like this. This is just a little bit more heinous than usual. This case proves every thesis we've ever said on jailbreak, weak on crime, because there's a lot of that going on, sanctuary cities, redressability of crime when it comes to illegal aliens, the border, obviously. No one will talk about it. Which brings me to my next point. Why is it that with the trifecta of control, for two years, Republicans never brought to the floor a bill dealing with sanctuary cities? Sanctuary cities is the cleanest bill that even gets around their sensibilities. Because by definition, you are dealing with only criminals. That People forget that's what sanctuary cities are. It's notifying ICE and honoring their detainers when you have someone in police custody who is picked up for doing something bad. By definition, it's not ICE rampaging through communities grabbing people. That's the whole point. They actually have to do that if you let them go more. They have to find them. This is a seamless, the most, I mean, there's nothing political. Every human being should agree to this. This issue could single-handedly decimate the Democrat Party if these so-called conservatives on our side would aggressively press them on it and make them take tough votes. It's so bad now that Santa Clara County and the city of San Jose are fighting with each other who has responsibility for it. They're all disowning sanctuary policies. That's how toxic it is. Ron DeSantis, God bless him. You want to talk about making America great again? That's really doing it right. He's the most popular governor in America now. He's pushing to clamp down on sanctuary counties there. Quinnipiac pulled it. It's a supermajority support. Every demographic supports it. Three to one among independents and even a plurality among Hispanic voters. Overwhelming majority among blacks, certainly whites, everyone. Old, young. Nobody wants other countries murderers and criminals. And even now that Democrats have control of the House, why do they get to put out messaging bills? Mitch McConnell will not bring this to the floor. So, okay, you embarrass the president. Again, this is not about the president. You know I criticize him and I have my own issues with him. It's about the issue. So why doesn't Mike Lee then force McConnell to take up a bill? Tom Cotton introduced a bill. I encourage them to introduce legislation. They watered it down. Um, named after Officer Singe, the other Californian who was killed by a guy who was released, a gang member who was released. Why not a piece of legislation? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, and by the way, what about Article 1? Hmm. States? You know, I understand we're very into, we generally want states to have more power than they do today. Relatively, I understand that. But, you know, states don't control the military and they don't control national sovereignty. There are certain things that do legitimately and for good reason, as our founders envisioned, belong to Congress. That's why we have it. Otherwise, we would just go to the Articles of of Confederation. Where are they? I want to know, where are they? 
Why isn't the Trump administration demanding a vote on Cotton's bill? Punishing sanctuary cities. You know, the one time Trump put in a special order, he got it. What was that if you remember that stupid amnesty bill, his amnesty deal? That that is always time for. What's the common denominator of all of this? Even the so-called conservatives, what they do is this. They get worn down in Congress. They realize they're not going to get anything done. And rather than forcing an issue, introducing bills, shaming, doing media, you're a voice more than you are a vote nowadays. That's, that's very important. They give up. And then they just look at things that the Democrats and the media agree with them on and say, oh, that's conservative. Let me come in and say, so... Oh, I'm for the criminals, criminal justice reform. Because I'm so libertarian. Oh, but nothing says libertarian like doubling the child refundable portion of the child tax credit and creating a new entitlement of European-style paid family leave. Yes, Mike Lee, very libertarian. I'm not trying to beat him up in, in terms of like rip him apart in hypocrisy. I'm trying to show you a lesson What's the common denominator with Mike Lee? It's virtue signaling. It's, well, because I'm for the children. I look good. But if that's what we're all about, then let's go home. If that, if we're only going to pick issues where we can convince ourselves that the left somehow is doing something that's also conservative, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm against executive power grabs. Yeah, tell it to the judge, pun intended. Like you tell everything to the judge. Give me a break. My rear end, you care about Article 1. How do you sit back for a minute and not scream at the top of your lungs against what the courts are doing? Indeed, I would have the right to vote against Trump on this. Ultimately, like I told you, I wouldn't. Because the letter of the law is with him. The spirit of what he's doing is not, but we have our own spirit. We, we believe it's right for other reasons. So as long as the letter is true, I mean, you know, but whatever. I can understand if you're fully consistent and you don't, you don't want to look inconsistent, just the appearance. That's what it is. It's Portman, Moran, Toomey, Alexander, Romney, Lee, Paul, Tillis, Murkowski, Collins so far. I just don't get it. I, I, it's so, so sad. And again, just politically, everyone's like, what do we do, Daniel? You got to pick a fight. You got to lay down a marker. There's something very powerful about laying down a marker. Like I said, if Trump would – you don't have to start out by openly, quote, defying a court ruling. Start out by delegitimizing rhetorically, saying Clarence Thomas says it's unconstitutional. Cite the case law. Cite their hypocrisy. Cite the violation of standing. And you call them out, and you call your shot, and you put them on notice. Then they think twice. This is what's so stupid about Congress. Part of why they're <clears> – <throat> They, they are so brazenly even striking down now jurisdiction-stripping statutes from Congress is because Congress won't even yell about it, about it, much less pass anything. 
if they feel they would get blowback called out by name, even, even though they don't stand for election, they feel the heat. Let me tell you, Democrats are starting to do that to Judge Ho, Fifth Circuit judge in, in uh, Texas, you know, for some of his rulings from a conservative end. They're calling him out by name. They don't play checkers. They play chess. It's the same thing with politics. <clears throat> the only way to ever get Democrats to relent is to beat them into submission. And I'm telling you, the issue is sanctuary cities. It, the press release is right itself. It's like if you have an Elijah on Mount Carmel moment, God just proves you right in front of everyone. A certain anecdote proves you right. And he won't take yes for an answer. They won't even talk about it. No one in this country will know of Bambi Larson. Because these guys are too busy virtue signaling to the media. This is the perspective you're not going to hear anywhere else on what's going on today. See, Mitch McConnell has this uh, modus operandi. He has this policy that he doesn't want to waste any floor time, taking away floor time from confirming Koch-loved judges. So what he says is, um, you know, hey, Democrats, if you don't give us the 60 votes, then it's a waste of time, so I won't bring it to the floor. So Democrats are like, all right, we don't support it. So he doesn't bring it to the floor. The only way to pressure them is you got to force them to take tough votes. Have a bill one day mandating deportation and ICE detainers for gang members. Another time for DUIs, drug traffickers, rapists. Make them take one tough vote after another. And that creates media around it. It creates national attention. You harness the debate. We don't even have guys getting on the map and making our case. They go to wherever the media tells them to go. Because nobody has their own standalone vision anymore. It just bothers me no end. There are stories every day. If I had the time to dig into them, because the media often won't even talk about their immigration status. This stuff happens every day. And um, by the way, I, I haven't said this, but there's a whole other backstory. I spoke to an ICE official yesterday about this guy. So we know that in recent years, once he was in California, it was the California authorities that never turned him over after he had this long criminal record. But there's another half of the story this piece of garbage where the media is reporting that he came in in 2013 and he was deported and then came back at some unknown time. The information that I have from ICE is that that's not true, that there was politics behind what was fed to the media, that indeed he wasn't ever deported. So not only was there an egregious violation at a state level thereafter, but at the beginning, there was a federal problem. Now, again, this was under Obama. It was 2013. They actually held him for four months in detention 
there was some sort of litigation and he was inexplicably let go. I brought it up with Jessica Vaughn and she actually pointed to an article of hers where 35,000 people were let go from ICE under this policy. A lot of us forget because it's been such a long time. We're dealing with sanctuary cities now. But back then you had you had the sanctuary nation policies where Obama was doing it at a federal level. The last time I checked, that's also an executive power grab. Bambi Larson is dead because of an executive power grab. But now the courts, the judiciary, they took a bite out of legislative power, Article 1, and codified the previous administration's executive power grabs against the current Congress and the current president. And they have nothing to say. Not a word. Not a word. Some people might say, maybe, maybe, Daniel, they don't know. They don't know what you know, and that could be true. But you know what? That in itself is political malpractice. So basically, you know whatever the media tells you to know. You allow the left and the media to frame the debate for you. Put on your table. Well, okay, Mike Lee, you've uh, long complained about executive power. Well, do you support this? Oh, boy, I don't want to look like I'm intellectually dishonest. I got to, you know. Nonsense. Nonsense. Again, if you had a hypothetical senator, doesn't exist. There's no such thing. But if you had one who consistently would do everything they should do on the judiciary, yelping about DACA as well, and he's like, look, I've done this so long. I, you know, he might have the statute of authority, but I don't like the way he did it. He didn't get, you know, lost in the appropriation fight and then responds with this. And in general, I don't like the Emergencies Act. It does give us the authority to disapprove. So, you know, I'm going to vote to disapprove of it. I, I could totally respect that. That is not what any of them are doing. And again, you get the worst outcomes of all. The virtue signaling, where they're just finding all the areas where the left will pat them on the back. Oh, child welfare, um, paid family leave, um, for the criminals. And by the way, that's another thing. They talk about us locking people up. Are you kidding me? You know what these sanctuary cases reveal? Forget about the guy's immigration status. The fact that this guy was freaking kidnapping people. Notice he pled down to, um, what, what's it called? False imprisonment. Drug trafficking. The guy's out. You know what usually happens? So, so here's what happens. Here's why ICE can't get a hold of them. So either they don't even do anything with them. They just pick them up, arrest them, and just let them go. They don't charge them with anything, don't wind up prosecuting them, or because now in these states, another facet of Mike Lee's movement that I'm sure, that I know he supports is abolishing bail. So they don't even have to post bail, so they're out in a flash. So ICE can't even try to monitor the records and try to you know look into it on their own, even if they're not notified, because they're out in a flash. 
But then even when they are prosecuted, so what happens is, let's say, you know, the proceedings go on for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. In state court, in all these offenses, they sentence them to time served, that the time sitting in the jail during, the, you know, when they're arrested originally is time served. And then at just any point, they just bingo, just release them. So ICE doesn't know exactly when they're released unless they would literally have everyone parked at every place. And they, they find out, they try with these courthouses now to show up, and they literally, oh my gosh, I mean, it's nuts. You heard Jessica Vaughn yesterday. If you didn't hear yesterday's show, that was uh, episode 371. Jessica was telling us how they are now, the lawyers are getting the judges to not release them. To send them back to jail for a couple hours to get away from ICE. The states, the sanctuary states and the courts are utterly laying waste to the purpose of having a Congress. But we, we took a small step, a stand against power grabs today. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That would be the equivalent of someone abusing the law to lock you in a burning building and you break some law to get out of it. And we're like, I understand, but this is where the other side agrees. We're going to get traction. We have to make a stand and standing up against law breaking. Yeah, really, guys? No, there's a valid way of doing that. and There's a valid time for that. No, not here and not in the context of what you always do. Anyway, there's a lot more going on, but I wanted to focus mainly just on this thesis today, on the sophistry of the Senate, how even the conservatives, they focus on the wrong things at the wrong time, in the wrong way, so, so hypocritical to the degree of perfidy on their supposed affinity for Article I powers, Not do nothing about the courts, nothing about anything, nothing about the more egregious Obama power grabs that Trump is still, you know, he'll say it's the courts, but the administration really wants to keep it. They won't fight that. And they won't even talk about sanctuary cities or any other slam dunk policy and political remedy to at least put up a vote side by side with this resolution. One of the uh, avenue, one of the ideas I have, by the way, I'm trying to get one senator to introduce at least is. Um, a private right of action against sanctuary cities. So, you know, we know the courts are God. So, my view is you live by the courts, you die by the courts. Okay? If illegal aliens could get standing to sue us up the wazoo, you know what? At least Americans should be able to sue liberal units of government. And my idea would be that, for example, this family, let's say Bambi Larson, her children, any family member of someone who was killed or victimized by an illegal who was released prior to committing that crime by a sanctuary because they either failed to notify ICE of the release or that they ignored a detainer request from ICE, these people would have a private right of action to go and sue 
the government? Because I think the truth be told, I'm not into a litigious society, but I mean, that really is legitimate. That is their job. Not any citizen to sue, but directly the, the family. That's a slam dunk issue because that's really going to kill these people. That's really going to get them. Um, that That is how you go after the sanctuaries. So that's an idea I'm working on. Um, really, like I said, there's a lot of things. And you know, we're going to have to start doing some seg- se- uh, segments. Maybe we'll call it Daniel's Details. Just the leftovers, the loose ends. There's a lot of little stories up in my notes. It, my window's up on my computer. I'd love to talk about. I mean, there was another court decision that blocked... USCIS from going after marriage fraud and immigration where they get visas based on marriage fraud. Egregious. There was an illegal alien who married, I guess, a legal immigrant or an American four times in less than four years. Um, They're on on to his third wife and they they caught him and the judge is given a problem. It's a federal judge in Ohio. I mean, every single thing. So, I don't have time to get to everything, and obviously, you want to follow me at RM Conservative, where you're going to see some of the, you know, sometimes I'll I'll do a quick blurb on this stuff. That's where you're going to see it. If I don't get to it uh, in my show or to write a full article about it, but um, wanted to just go over one thing. Some of you have been asking me this: that you see a story where it seems like we have some good news that. Trump has successfully appointed um, three different people to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, and uh, we just flipped the circuit. There's more Republican appointees than Democrat appointees. Okay? That, that it's officially been flipped. So a lot of you are asking me, hey, you know, is this Daniel? Aren't we making progress? I know you said that you know, we got to push back against judicial supremacy, and that just appointing better judges is not going to help, and it's actually going to further legitimize the judicial supremacy. But you know, isn't this some progress? So, look. First of all, obviously, when you have the picks, you make the best ones you can get, and it's better than not doing it. It's better better than if you had a Democrat picking them. But you know, for all the other reasons I said, the one directional ratchet. All the reasons that, you know, they only have to win once, we have to win a million times. So all this does is, yeah, relative to Obama, but you have to remember that under Obama, we had years of Bush and even Reagan where, you know, he just wasn't as careful in who he appointed uh, to the lower courts. People weren't focusing because you didn't have lower court supremacism back then. And there aren't too many conservative lawyers around. So, you know, you just had random people. And then built on top of Obama's two terms, I mean, we were really screwed. So relative to then, two years later, yeah, it's better shaped than then. Um, you have the Third Circuit. So the Third Circuit is uh, uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Not that big, right? So it doesn't have New York. That's the Second Circuit. Um, you know, a couple things here. First of all, again, all this does – you know, Trump's making the Sixth Circuit a little better, the Seventh Circuit a little better. All it does is foreclose maybe one avenue that it's more likely we'll get a better panel of three judges here and there, and maybe they'll deny some of their lawsuits. 
but they'll do it elsewhere and they'll do other ones. And if they lose, they come back for more. In other words, the point is, my thesis is that once you legitimize their game of judicial supremacy, no matter what, their rules of we win, you lose, heads we win, tails we win, all the games that we've discussed, this doesn't speak to that. Um, moreover, I can't really tell you, and and to be honest, I haven't prepared enough to give give this over properly because it's hard to prove just the nature of who these Republican appointees are, especially the Bush ones. Right, there's four Bush ones, four Bush ones, two Clinton ones, four Obama ones, and now three Trump ones. I could tell you all the Democrat ones are really bad, especially on that circuit. Um, I, I don't know. We have a majority of Republican appointees on the active bench there, but I mean, you've learned they're not all going to be that good. So, I, I, I don't really think this is a conservative circuit like the fifth or the eighth. It's less liberal. I, I do st still think we're going to have problems from it. But again, remember, this is a small geographical area. Right near it, you have – right to the south of it, you have the fourth, which is irremediably gone. You have the second, which is irremediably gone. That's New York. And then you have the first, which is Boston. I mean – so what I mean is anything that's happening in that area, the left, unless they're compelled to go to that circuit, they'll easily take it to the first, second, or fourth um, if it's somewhat of a national issue. And again, that's part of the problem of this forum shopping. You're right. If we shut down universal injunctions, then it would help to kind of do this. But I also want to remind you, this is going to be our high watermark. Everyone's like, well, it's progress. Well, you know, eventually we'll get – well, eventually the Democrats are going to be back in power. Which brings me to my next factor why this is not as good news as you think it is if we don't properly start fighting back – against judicial supremacism, and that's this. The Democrats aren't stupid. They always plan for the future. Okay? They, they, this is not lost on them that, okay, you know, some of the circuits they're, they're losing, you know, that they thought they had. Um, they always adapt. We're always fighting yesterday's battle. That's the problem. Our tactics, we're so, like, hurt of years' worth of getting screwed by a certain thing, and then we're focused, all right, we're going to fix that. And meanwhile, they already milked everything they can from that, and they've concocted a new tactic. So now we're fighting yesteryear's thing. Um, oh yeah, now we gotta we gotta get better, better judges now, whatever. And, and the problem is, it's a joke. So notice this whole universal injunction thing. Why do why do you think they started with it? Well, because they started to realize, oh, whoops, Republicans got luckier in terms of their tenure as president on the watch of vacancies, so they might flip the Supreme Court. Now, I think a lot of them are pleasantly surprised that it really hasn't flipped that much, the Supreme Court. It's still pretty bad, but it's not like terrible or, or certainly from a liberal perspective really good for them. So that's where they concocted this universal injunction thing, which essentially just puts the lower courts in charge. But I got news for you. Dem There's a Washington Post article. I, I got to run now, but I'm going to link to it in show notes. Democrats are thinking of packing the courts. See, you can't run. You can't hide. You can't run under their legs. You have to directly confront the point of judicial supremacy. The problem is you're playing on their home turf, and what they're going to do is – First of all, Democrats get back in charge, so it's going to go back to what it was before. You're always going to be losing, and we're losing now anyway. 
the best we're winning a couple of defensive victories in some of these circuits while we lose worse ones in other circuits. But what I'm saying is they'll just go and pack the courts when they're there. You know what I mean? They will do whatever it takes because they demand results. Our side demands talking points. And folks, that more than anything else today is truly the lesson we need to take on. God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.